Thank you, ladies. And that certainly will fit into the message tonight, uh, seeing the Lord Jesus in us. And it's good to be here tonight. And I know we got the conference uh, coming up here, so I'm going to try to be brief. Famous last words. But anyway, uh, we do want to kind of run through something here. Uh, about, uh, in fact, uh, just a week ago, this very night, I was in uh, Rhode Island. And I was preaching the, the way they have it set up there. I was preaching to the young people uh, just uh, seven days ago, right about this time. And as I was preaching to them, I was sitting there and they were doing some prelims and I was getting ready to preach. And you're just saying, okay, Lord, this is what I'm, you know, I've just had already been praying about it. And this is what I prepared. And it was like the Lord said, no, I want you to, to do something uh, that's a little bit different. Some things that uh, I've been thinking about, but necessarily don't have a message on. And uh, uh, some uh, just different things I presented uh, from time to time using a whiteboard and uh, as an illustration. So um, I felt like, okay, the Lord wants me to do this. So I got up in front of them and said, now normally I don't present this to teenagers because it goes over their head. But I just want you to present, pretend you're in systematic theology in seminary and I'm going to try to do a lecture here on anthropology. And they were kind of looking at me like, what in the world are you talking about? But uh, uh, they did a great job hanging with me. And so I thought, you know what, I really do believe this will prepare us for the conference. The conference really is a kind of theme that assumes that you have gotten certain truth down. So if you don't have the truth down, then you kind of miss the emphasis of the conference because if you rise up in the wrong mentality, you end up actually in flesh dependence or legalism, however you want to frame it up, and it will be not be sustaining. It will be, as I'm going to preach on on Wednesday morning, it will be a disaster. And so um, uh, the conference really is predicated on understanding something. And so I want to uh, preach a message on what is man, understanding who you are so you can be who God made you to be. And we're just going to look a little bit on the identity truths, but I'm going to use illustrations. Now, most of you know me, I am not a PowerPoint preacher. I am just not. It just, it's just kind of limits me, kind of you know, just you know, handcuffs me. But uh, I don't know any other way to do it than to give in illustrations in front of you that are pictorial to try to help you understand this. So we'll do the best we can to get through this thing, try to move quickly. A PowerPoint does kind of limit rabbit trails, so we'll try to stay right on mission here. Because I know how it goes. Uh, if this was the conference night, we'd think, wow, the preacher's up early. Okay, but anyway, uh, so, um, uh, so I get that. And, uh, but anyway, I, I'm excited about this conference. I do believe because of the prayer meetings I've been in that God is going to do something. Uh, I'm really anticipating it, expecting it, because I believe transactions of faith, and not all have been mine, but I certainly have seen others and heard others, and I know uh, as I've talked with people, heard discussions, been in I think three what I would call serious prayer meetings for this thing, and I know God's going to do something. So um, I'm excited about it. Don't know what exactly what it will look like. So I do urge you to be here and ask the Lord to minister to your own heart. I do believe the launching of Renew is going to be critical and uh, will be a battle as it always is. But uh, certainly excited about that as well. But one of the really important truths is for us to understand who we are in Christ. Okay, what do we look like uh, from a, just a, from a divine perspective? Because many times we are, how do I say this, so asphyxiated by our defeat. I see two things that really hinder our view of who we are in Christ. One is our own failure. Everybody in this room has besetting sins that have defeated you on a regular basis, sometimes for years. And if you're not careful, you become defined by them. People say, I'm an angry man, or I'm a lustful person, or, uh, you know, whatever. I'm covetous or greedy or whatever. And many times we find ourselves defined by a failure. Now, there's a second thing that I have found. Some people are not defined by their failure. They're defined by other people's sin against them. You know, I came from a divorced home. I was molested, you know, or something like that. Those kind of testimonies, which I've heard many times, which it's hard for me to relate with because it certainly was raised differently, uh, sometimes can be defining to people. They are defined by what has happened to them. It's not their sin, other people's sin that has ill-affected their life. And as a result of those two things, I have found many people struggle to even believe what the Bible says about who they are. And it's very important if you ever get to victory. Anybody who's ever been in what we might call addictive behaviors, besetting sin, bondage, however you want to put it, some kind of thing that just defeats you on a regular basis will tell you that you're not going to get victory until you really do understand who you are in Jesus Christ and establish, based on that, a relationship with Him. Now, I can't deal with everything here, but I do want you to understand something. If you're sitting here tonight and you say, Preacher, I believe I'm saved, but I'm, I really am 
characterized by defeat in my life or addiction or whatever it might be, I hope you'll listen tonight because this is foundational to understand so you can get really sustained victory in your life. So what is man? Okay, what does man look like? Now, I, I'm not going to put most of the scripture on the, um, the PowerPoint, but I will just begin with a verse. You don't have to necessarily turn there. Most of us know it. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, I just want to ask you a question. I've done this before. And um, just want to ask you a question. If, how many of you, from the moment you got saved to now, the old life is gone. I mean, you used to curse, you don't curse anymore. You used to get angry, you don't get angry anymore. You used to struggle with lustful thoughts, you don't lust anymore. So how many of you, from the day you got saved to now, the old is completely gone, and you have been completely living the new life? Could you raise your hand? Because I'm not raising mine. So what in the world does that verse mean? Well, it's got to be true, right? We start with the premise, the Bible is true. Now, I use that just to help jar us a little bit because verses sometimes we know well, we believe them in the sense they're the Word of God, but we don't necessarily see it in our lives fully. We see some of that. I think many of you out here, oh, I used to drink, I don't drink anymore. And we can certainly hear testimonies about people who got saved and certain sin issues fell off. It's really interesting to me, though, that many people testify certain things fell away, but certain things didn't, and it seems like now they're, they had a struggle in their Christian life. I've had people say, you know, drink and drugs, man, that was gone immediately. But man, do I still struggle with the issue of lust or anger or whatever. Now, isn't that interesting? Now, what does the Bible mean? Because we know the Bible's true. So let's spend a few moments, and I'll ask you, I'm going to probably have to point to them to switch the slides when we're ready, so we can switch to the next slide here. And hopefully get them in order here. So we're going to deal with um, uh, the three parts of man. Now this is what I would call the immaterial parts of man. There are obviously material parts of us, the body. And I'm, not, I'm using flesh here in an immaterial sense. Now there are two basic definitions for flesh. It's the Greek word sarx. And one is flesh and bones, or blood, you know. And, and we all have a body. And so many times we think of flesh, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I believe that's talking about our human frame. Okay, and so we all understand our human frame, our flesh, blood, weak, has limitations. But I don't believe uh, right here as we talk about the immaterial part of man, that's what we're talking about. We are talking about that downward pull that all of us have. Everybody in this room understands what it is to be drawn to things that aren't right. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. In other words, the works of the flesh are obvious, which are these. And there's a long list. You know, the first one's adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Sometimes you say, well, I'm not struggling with that. But honestly, in the world, as, as you go on in that list, there's a lot of things we do struggle with. Anger, strife, you know, contentions, whatever. All in there. And some people do struggle uh, with the issues of uh, lasciviousness or uncleanness. And it's certainly the pornographic world in which we live. These are all real things. Okay, so the works of the flesh there, what's it talking about? It's that immaterial part of man that draws you away from God. We all understand that. In fact, C.H. Spurgeon, the great prince of preacher, put it this way, a very hell of corruption lies within the heart of the best of saints. Sometimes people get saved and they know they got saved, but then they're thinking, I still got a problem. Well, the problem is you still have flesh. And that flesh is constantly fighting against the spirit. We'll talk about that in a moment. Well, let's go to the next slide here because we're going to try to go through things here. Here's the immaterial parts of man. And I just gave a verse that would describe each one. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit. Okay, that's, that's that middle part there. The soul, he that doeth it, talking about adultery, destroyeth his own soul. And then Psalm 23, for every person in moral failure... Uh, Psalm 23 is wonderful. Although moral impurity destroys our soul, thank the Lord that God restores our soul. And that's what I'll renew is all about. And then the flesh, now the works of the flesh, we already talked about that, are obvious, manifest. Okay, we'll go back to the other slide there. So I think you hopefully see the middle is the spirit, the uh, next perimeter is the soul, and then we go to the flesh. So we're going to walk through this now, and we want to start very carefully and talk about the spirit. So let's go to the next slide there, and we're going to talk about that middle circle. Now, there's some things you, we need to understand, uh, first of all, is uh, the spirit is either characterized as old or new. So if you're saved, you have the new man. If you're not saved, there's anybody in here who's never been saved, then you would find your description over there on the old man. Okay, that's, that's, that's the spirit, what, what would be that center part of your being. 
Now, I want you to see something about um, the, oh, boy, I'm already getting emotional here. Um, somebody could get me a bottle of water. Okay, if somebody can get that pretty quickly. I should have brought that up here, um, but <clears throat> got a little dehydrated, I think, here. But, um, okay, we'll keep going on this thing uh, and get that up here in just a moment. But I want you to see the contrast. The old man always sins. Now, I don't want you to miss this because many times we do. The old man always sins. Okay, now notice the little verse I put there. The plowing of the wicked is sin. You ever gone down the road, down in the country, and you look out a farmer out plowing the field? Have you ever looked out at that farmer and said, man, that guy is sinning? Probably not, but I will tell you this, if he's unsaved, he is. Everything unsaved people do is completely motivated by wrong motives. Somewhere along the line, it, is, it has self, it's flesh, and uh, it, they can give money to a relief organization and God looks at it and says, that's sin. Have you ever thought about the fact that the reason hell is eternal is because when people go to hell, they still have a sinful heart. It reminds me years ago, I remember there was an accident occurred, there was a pilot, and he ran into another plane, and they, his last word on planet Earth was a curse word. And you know what I thought to myself? I bet you his first word in eternity was a cuss word. And he probably is still cursing right now. See, the old man, all it can do is sin. It completely has wrong motives. It has no spiritual understanding of, of God as far as, you know, relationship with God. And so uh, the Bible's helping us understand that's in contrast with the new man. Now, I don't want you to miss this about the new man. The new man never sins. Wow. So are you sure about that? Well, 1 John 3, 9 seems to tell us that. Whosoever is born of God, what does the Bible says? Say, doth not commit sin. Okay, we're going to go to that verse in a moment, a little bit later here. But uh, right now, I just want you to see that there. Okay, so you got that contrast. Then uh, we have the fact that um, the old man has genes from Adam. And the new man, how do I say this, has been regened, regenerated. We've talked about that, born of Adam versus born of the Spirit. The old man is dead to God. Now, many times uh, uh, we think uh, of, a, uh, of the spirit of an unsaved man being dead. May I say this? The spirit of, a, of an old, a man who's lost is not non-existent. The spirit of a lost man is dead to God, but it's not non-existent. I got a question for you. Can unsaved people interact with the spirit world? And the answer is, yeah. In fact, in most third world countries, that's their religion. They interact with demons and demonic activity. And if you've ever been to uh, hear missionaries who are in third world countries who have an aggressive ministry, they will tell you about demonic encounters, make your hair, you know, literally stand up on the back of your neck as you hear some of these stories about the reality of these people who are in a demonic religion and interacting with demonic people. In fact, I remember years ago hearing a lecture and he would teach them as soon as they got saved, he would teach them the Bible verse, uh, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Because they feared the demons. And uh, whenever they said a demon would come to a house, somebody would die every single time. They just feared the demons. And they one, one time, uh, they asked him, uh, a missionary, have you ever seen, the, they, they called him the Hoya, have you ever seen the Hoya? And, and he said, no, I never has. He said, what does the Hoya look like? And they described him. And uh, so um, uh, he would teach them, greater is he that in, is in you than is he that is in the world. And, and after a while, he had a convert one day come to him and says, it worked. Missionary, missionary, it worked. He said, what do you mean it worked? He said, the Hoya came to my house last night. He said, and I quoted that verse. Greater is he that's in me than he in the world. They left. Said they went down the street and somebody died down the street. <laughs> well, I mean, that's something that kind of rattles us as Americans because generally speaking, that's not the kind of encounters we're having. So unsaved people, my point is, they're not, their spirit's not non-existent. It's dead to God. So see that, okay. So, but the new man, the spirit is alive to God, okay. So we'll continue on. The, the old man, according to the word of God, is corrupt according to deceitful lust. That word corrupt is literally passive, be and it's present. It's being corrupted according to deceitful lust. Really the lusts of deceit. So that's the old man. The new man is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wow, what a contrast. 
So let's go on to the next slide. You see the contrast here. Here's the old man, a couple of Bible verses that help us understand the old man. Uh, the natural man receiveth not the things uh, that are the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him. Okay, so we understand that the old man uh, doesn't get spiritual things. He doesn't understand things of the Spirit of God. As we mentioned a moment ago, he's corrupt according to deceitful lusts. And uh, you see, you put off the old man with his deeds. And so we see the, the terrible condition the old man is in. He always sins and he can't be reformed. And his only hope, our only hope for the old man is for him to die. We're going to come to that in a moment. So before we got saved, you can't reform the old man. He is what he is. He's completely sinning, etc. Now that brings us to the next thing after we got the diagnostic here. What's the solution? And the solution is for the old man to die. Now at salvation, you may not realize this, but when you got saved, your, how do I say this? You were put into union with Jesus Christ so that Jesus' history has become yours. See, it's like this. I think I've told this story here before. I'm sure I have, but it was J. Vernon McGee, I believe it was, or uh, one of those radio preachers that was over in Israel, and he wanted to go, to go up to Golgotha, the top of Golgotha, but there's a Muslim cemetery there, and you can't get in. And he, uh, if you know anything about going to the Bible lands, if you want to do something like that, you pay him off. Okay, so he paid off the gatekeeper and went into the Muslim graveyard and went up to the top there, and he was overcome with emotion. And the gatekeeper looked at him and said, um, you ever been here before? And the preacher looked at him and said, yes, I have. He said, when were you here? He said, 2,000 years ago. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of like that. If you're saved, I'm telling you, you, when Jesus died, guess what? You were in Jesus. You died too. Notice what the Bible says there, the solution, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. See, we've died under Christ. That's why the Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. When it becomes to that center, your spirit, that is exactly what happened. Everything old has been crucified and all things have become new. You see what that means? Now that brings us to the next thing here. So once you have a new man... We talked a little bit about this a moment ago. He can't sin, born of the Spirit, regene, created in righteousness and true holiness. Now there's the verse a little more thoroughly there. But I want you to go to it because I want you to see it 1 John chapter number 3. Because I think many times we just read right over 1 John chapter 3. And I've heard strange interpretations of 1 John chapter number 3 and verse 9. And I think we miss the blessing of it. But look at verse number 9. And uh, we'll just see this quickly here before we move on. It says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Why? For his seed, that is talking about God. His seed is literally the Greek word sperma. I mean, that's the word. For his seed remaineth in him, in the Christian, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, I want you to understand this. The center, if you're saved on your way to heaven, that center part of you, your regenerated spirit, can't sin. Why? Because it's in union with God and God can't sin. Now, the wonderful thing I want you to understand about it, you saw all three things. When you die, what happens to your flesh? And the answer is, it's gone. And what's left is your spirit. And friends, that's why you won't sin in heaven. A million years from now, I'm going to just tell you this. Where's your flesh going to be? And the answer is, it's not going to be with you. So who you really are is not your flesh. Most Christians are more defined by their flesh than they are their spirit. And yet your spirit is going to, your flesh is going to be gone and who you are in Jesus Christ is going to last forever. You see, when you got saved, you got born again. Do you know you can't reverse birth? You can't get unborn again? You can't become a new man then go back to being an old man. You're alive in Jesus Christ. He has regened you. You've got a different spiritual genetics now. You're in union with the God of heaven. I don't understand it all. I'm not professing to understand it. I'm just telling you that's what it says. 
And that's the center of you. That's who you are. That's your spirit. Okay, that's the new man. Okay, that's why I love Romans 7. In fact, I had a guy preached on this, and a guy came up to me and says, is that what 1 John is telling us? That's before I used 1 John 3 in my presentation. That's where I got it from, this guy. Yeah, that's what 1 John 3 is saying. He said, what about Romans 7? Is that what it's saying there when it says, now if I do that, that I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I said, yeah, that's it. Because your eye doesn't sin. In other words, who you are, your center of your being, that part of you doesn't sin. And the Apostle Paul was saying, hey, listen, when I'm doing things that I know I shouldn't do, it's not, it's not my spirit that's sinning, sinning. It's not who I am in the center of my being. That's not who's sinning. It is sin in my members. It's my flesh. It's still my decision. Don't get me wrong. We still have personal responsibility. But what he's saying is the, the center part of me, that's not sinning because it can't sin. There are many people in this room who think that all you can do is sin, but the truth is that's because you don't believe who you really are. Nobody in this room has to have besetting sin. Nobody in this room has to be addicted to anything. Nobody in this room has to be in bondage to sin because that's not who you are. Here's our problem. We don't believe it. Why? Because we're far more influenced by our defeated experiences than we are by who the, what the Bible says we are. See, what has to be rejected is your defeated experiences. And what has to be embraced is what the Bible says. Okay, let's keep going here. Okay, a lot of this is going to be re-emphasized in the conference, so let's go to the next slide here. It, by the way, this is, like I said, real, but that brings us to the next slide here. It's got to be realized. Now, in my, in my message on Wednesday morning, I'm going to deal with the fact that many times what's real is positional truth. And sometimes what we call what is realized is practical truth. And uh, the green letters puts it position versus condition. I like that too. Some of you have been reading the new green, green letters. But um, so how is it realized? And the answer is, likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the issue here is reckoning. Now what is reckoning? Reckoning is a Greek word that is used for accounting. Now, it's interesting to me that math is a very unusual discipline because math has no emotion to it. Think about your math teachers throughout the years, particularly in college, people who've dedicated their life to math. Generally, very unemotional people. Have you ever noticed that? They're just hard, cold facts people. Usually not the most exciting personalities on planet Earth. There may be exceptions. But math people are dealing not with feeling. They deal with one thing, fact. That's what accounting is. Do you remember back when you used to, how many remember back when you used to do banking at the bank? Anybody just remember that? I know I've dealt with this before. Yeah, banking at the bank. Not too many people remember that, yeah. I still bank at the bank, especially at Christmas. They got coffee and co uh, cookies down there, free, okay. Why not bank at the bank? Okay, yeah, but you know, the point is, if you go down to the bank back in the day to deposit money into your account, let's just say you want to deposit $500, I'm telling you, friends, that is not an emotional uh, action. When you deposit the $500 and that old teller back 30 years ago gave you a deposit split, slip, you opened up a checkbook. Some of you young kids are going to figure out what that is. But hey, open up a checkbook, yeah. And you know, we used to write the date and the word deposit, and then we would write $500. You know why? Because that's accounting. You could add a zero, 5,000. You know what that's called? Wishful thinking. <laughs> and you're going to be in trouble. Won't work. We all know what accounting is. You wouldn't sit there that day and say, yeah, I know it says 500, but man, I don't feel like I put in 500. It's raining outside 40 degrees. I'm telling you, I say this with authority. Give me 30 and snowing. It's better than 40 and raining. Any amens on that thing? Okay, here we go. Yeah, that out of preach. Okay, but anyway. 40 raining, you know what I'm talking about? The dog just died, hot water heater just went out, roof's leaking. I just don't feel like there's 500 bucks. I just don't, no, no, you know, we don't, we don't do that. At least I hope you don't. <laughs> you know what you do? You do accounting. Yeah, you do accounting. You just write 500, why? Because that's what it is. Now that is exactly what God says everybody in this room. It's not, oh, I don't feel like a new man. I feel like an old man. I just feel like I always want to sin. I, you know, the point is, God is saying, reject your experience and believe it because I said it. Because that's who you are in union with Jesus Christ. 
You've got to start with that. Now, that brings us to our next one. We've talked about the inner part of man. Now let's move to the soul. Many times people define the soul's mind, will, and emotions. And of course, I see all three of those. And look through the book of Proverbs. You probably could kind of put them in different categories there. Proverbs 19.2, also that the soul be without knowledge. Okay, there would be the mind aspect of the soul. How about the will? The soul of the wicked desireth evil. There the soul would be of the will. Emotions, correct thy son and he shall give thy rest. Yes, he shall give delight unto thy soul. Just to give you a few examples of what the soul is, and we could talk more about that. This is not uh, where I'm going to highly develop it. I was much more concerned about the spirit. But the, the thing that's probably very important about the soul, what we need to just note is the will. So let's go to the next slide here. And um, uh, just a reminder, well, let's go to the next one after that. And uh, now we're going to move on to the flesh. And we'll kind of put this all together here, get into the third part and then put it together. The flesh, the Bible tells us, dwells no Good thing. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. You have to start with the fact that that outer perimeter has nothing good. Many Christians start out their Christian life trying to reform the flesh. And you know what happens? It doesn't work. Try to grit your teeth. Try harder. We've got to make this happen. And, and we often do it sincerely. We love Jesus. We want it to happen. We're so grateful for being saved. But there becomes a flesh dependence and we, lose, we learn the hard way that the flesh dwells no good thing. Now, something else about the flesh, kind of like the old man, um, it always sins. Romans 7, 14, Apostle Paul said, I'm carnal, sold into sin. Romans 7, 25, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Galatians 5, 19, we've talked about before, works of the flesh are manifest. Okay, let's continue to show a few other things about the flesh. And uh, it's at war with God. Look what Romans 8, 7 says, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God. Now, what does the next word say? Neither indeed can be. The flesh can't do it. It can't live the Christian life. It can't cut it. It can't do it. Why? Because it hates God. Have you ever noticed that your flesh doesn't like to do anything God wants you to do? Can I just be honest with you? My flesh doesn't like the Bible. I bet you yours doesn't either. My flesh doesn't like prayer. I bet you yours doesn't either. My flesh doesn't like outreach and ministry. I bet you yours doesn't either. Are you tracking with me at all? Sometimes we wonder, why do I, why is, what, okay, we, our flesh is constantly pulling. It's an enmity against God. And then uh, it's not only an enmity with God, it's at war with the Spirit, which obviously God and Spirit are Trinity, etc. But giving two aspects here, what does it say? The flesh lusteth against the Spirit, Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. I think I've mentioned this before, but the subjunctive mood is in there at the very back of that verse, which means it's very possible, yes, probable, that because of the flesh-spirit war, we're not going to do everything that we ought to do. Have you ever noticed that you don't do everything you ought to do? You know why? Because there's a flesh-spirit battle going on. Have you ever figured that out? Hopefully you're relating with us. Okay, let's continue on. One other thing about the flesh, it reaps corruption. May I say, it doesn't matter which way flesh, now flesh manifests itself different ways. Flesh manifests itself in flesh dependence. Some people just, you know, I'm going you know, to grit their teeth, I'm going to live the Christian life. That reaps corruption. Flesh dependence wreaks corruption, just like flesh indulgence. The flesh is so bad off, the Bible says, if you sow to it, you will always reap corruption. May I say this carefully? It doesn't matter if you say, I'm going to try to do this thing in my own strength, and I'm going to grip my teeth and do it if it kills me. It doesn't matter if you do that or you say, forget it, I'm doing whatever I want to do. Whatever flesh way you go, it doesn't work. That's what God's trying to help us. The flesh can't cut it. Okay, let's continue on. We're just trying to give you this, and this is really a conference prep message, so I can't deal with everything. So there you have it now, a little bit clearer. Uh, that we're now using this picture as a saved person. You've got the new man, then you've got the soul as the next circle, mind, will, and emotions, and the flesh on the outside. So let's go to the next one, just quickly. And I want you to see that verse. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which do what? War against the soul. So the flesh is trying to get the soul to say yes. 
So the fleshly lusts come along and say, look at that. Click on that. Go to that internet site. Indulge in that imp impropriety. Or, yeah, let it rip. Let them have a piece of your mind. Have you ever noticed how the flesh wars against your soul? He's constantly trying to sell your will on, hey, make this decision. Hit the button. Hey, open your mouth. Let it rip. Some of you are looking at me like you have no idea what I'm talking about. Were you born of a different race? I mean, do you get this? Yeah, our flesh wars against our soul. It's constantly wanting your soul to say yes. The will part of your soul to say, okay, flesh, let's go. Let's do it. Now, there's one other aspect we've already touched on. Well, let's just see it. Next picture there. We also have the fact that flesh lusts against the, uh, wars against the spirit, lusts against the spirit. So you have this flesh-spirit battle going on. So the flesh is fighting our soul, trying to get our will on board, mind, will, and emotions on board. And it's also fighting against our spirit and uh, doesn't want the spirit to win. So it's fighting both. He wants us to, the flesh wants to run the show. So uh, with that in mind, we've got to come to the final part quickly here. So let's go to the next. Okay, so what's the answer? What's the answer? That's what this conference comes in. Because what happens when you spend a lot of time dealing with the subject of sanctification, it's the washing of the water of the Word. Now the first thing is, when it comes to living so that the flesh is not winning the war, so that the flesh stays at bay and you live a victorious Christian life with who you are begins to define who you are. In other words, you begin to live out who you are in such a way that people begin to realize transformations taking place in that life. Doesn't matter who you are in this room, I'm telling you, if you're saved, the answer is inside of you. Can I say this carefully? If you're saved, you don't need anything other, you don't need anything other than what you already have. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? When you got saved and the Holy Spirit came in and regenerated your spirit, you have everything you need to live the Christian life. You don't need a second blessing, just tune into the first blessing. You got all you need. And many times, friends, as a result of this, we're going to talk about this on Wednesday morning, as a result of this, we often do not believe we already had it. People often ask God for what they already have. And you know what that does? It doesn't work. Because you know what that's predicated on? Unbelief. There's times we need to ask God because things we don't, in other words, answers to prayer, etc., etc. But when it comes to who we are in Christ, we already have it. God, make me dead to sin. He's saying you already are in Jesus. So what needs to happen? It needs to be appropriated, okay? Our mind needs to be renewed so that we believe this. Okay, so Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, great passage. And so many of these passages, I can't stop and exegete them. That's not my purpose here. Uh, but uh, that she put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, there he is. And that, that she put off is, a, is an infinitive. It's in the aorist tense. I'll come back to that in a moment. Which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. Really, again, which is being corrupted. It's, it's present tense. It's passive. So it's just that, man, it's just it's corruption according to deceitful lust. And then it says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's the next infinitive. That's present tense. It's different than the aorist. It's right in the middle. And it's also passive. Be being renewed is the idea there in the spirit of your mind. And by the way, it didn't, uh, it's very important to understand it's emphasizing there, because you're using the word spirit, little s, it's emphasizing, don't miss this, the immaterial part of your mind. I make this qualification because uh, several years ago I started on the journey, and, and some of you are familiar with the Conqueror series, and, and I really do appreciate a lot of the material in Conqueror series, but, but somebody made a comment to me that really helped me. The brain and the mind are not synonymous. The brain is a part of the mind, but the mind's bigger than the brain. See, so the picture here is, he's not telling you to cut new pathways in your brain, though that may happen. He's emphasizing what's going on is in the spiritual part of who you are. It's the immaterial part. It's the soul part of your, 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 your mind. That's where there needs to be renewal. That's the emphasis of the verse. And then it says, and that she put on the new man, which is also third infinitive, which is aorist and tense. You put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So you have these two aorist tenses right on either side as bookends. And right in the middle you have that present tense, 
which teaches us something. Now, there's different interpretations on this. I would go with most of the interpretations I read in the commentaries, believing that at salvation, that's what happened. You put off the old, you put on the new. But here's the key. The present tense means there needs to be a constant, uh, we need to be allowed, uh, the Holy Spirit of God, to renew the spirit of our mind so that what is real impacts and changes our lives. So the idea here is you have, your mind has got to be re renewed. Of course, we're all familiar with Romans 12 too. Because the put on, the put off, that's already occurred. And by the way, wherever you have positional truth, positional truth always mandates practical application. It just does. So God's saying, this happened to you, live it out. And one of the ways that if you begin to live it out is you have a lot, got to see your mind renewed. The spirit of your mind renewed. Okay, and be you not, be you not conform to this world, but be you transformed, here it is, by the renewing of your mind. Transformation, most of us have heard the word. I've used this before here recently. Uh, transformation, of course, that word transformed is the word metamorphosis. That's all, you know, get the picture of a, of a caterpillar coming up, spin a cocoon, butterfly comes out. And uh, we've used that illustration that when that butterfly was a caterpillar, it still had the DNA of a butterfly. And what happened is that DNA marched on, but pretty soon you have this butterfly coming out of the cocoon. There's been a complete, absolute, radical transformation. Why? Because that's what it was genetically. May I say this, friend? When you got saved, you got regened. Can I say you, you've got a butterfly inside? Is my daughter's poem that I read a couple years at the con ago at the conference. You've got, you have been regened. You, you literally are a butterfly inside, although you often act like a worm or a caterpillar. You with me on this? Now, in nature, guess what happens? The DNA just marches on naturally. Kid, the, the caterpillar doesn't do anything. It just happens. But not in the spiritual realm. God says there's something that's got to happen. In order for that DNA to kick in, you know what's got to happen? Your mind's got to be renewed. That's what it says. That's why people can live in spiritual immaturity for years, be saved, have the new men inside, but live defeated. Why? Because they have never allowed, by the grace of God, that my, your mind to be renewed. How's your mind renewed? Well, we could go into a hole, but it's renewed through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's, can I say this? It's, it's, renewed, it's, it's renewed through the power of the Word of God, and it's renewed through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit taking the Word of God and supernaturally, dynamically changing our thinking. And that comes through preaching, that comes through Bible study, it comes time to spending time with God. I mean, we could go through all these simple things that are stirring faith in our hearts, so much that's already been preached on. But the point is, your mind must be renewed. You're not going to live in the victory of who you are in Jesus Christ until you have a mind renewal. You understand, I need a spiritual, dynamic work of God through the power of His Word, through the power of His Spirit in my mind, in that immaterial part of my mind. I need God to do something. And he does it through his word, through the power of his spirit. And we'll talk about some of those things as we continue to go on. So the mind must be renewed. Let's go to the next thing here. A couple of quotes here. God has given us the DNA of godliness. We are saints, righteous. Nothing we do will make us more righteous. We're talking about imputed righteousness than we already are. We're going to talk about imputed and imparted righteousness on uh, Wednesday morning. Nothing we do will alter this reality. God knows our DNA. He knows that we are Christ in me. And now he's asking us to join him in what he already knows is true. I like that. To resolve our sin issues, here it is. Do you have sin issues? Boy, I'm telling you what, I must be preaching to a really amazing crowd. Nobody has sin issues. I'm in the wrong place. I'm telling you, you can ask Brother Bosler or any of the evangelists in here, don't give me a bunch of saints, give me some sinners to preach to. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the saints don't need the preaching. I'm talking saints in a practical sense, not a theological sense, because we are saints. I get that. But to re resolve our sin issues, we must begin trusting God, who, uh, begin trusting who God says we are. Isn't that interesting? To begin to solve your sin issues, what do you got to do? You got to begin trusting that you are who God says you are. Okay, let's continue. Mind must be renewed. And here it is. The mind can be renewed. And... Uh, for many of, again, I'm going to deal with some of this real and versus realized. We've talked a little bit about that, so we'll go to the next slide. But I'm telling you, it is real. God says, believe it. Let it be realized by reckoning it to be true, embracing the reality of it. Okay, so first, the mind must be renewed. Because many times we don't believe it. We do not believe it. The absolutely amazing thing that God did when you got saved. 
You were regened, regenerated, made righteous in the sight of God, created in righteousness and true holiness. The new man in the worst Christian in this room, the new man of the worst Christian in this room has been created in righteousness and true holiness. See, the truth is we, we, we struggle with that. Hey, listen, I don't care how defeated you are. It doesn't matter the kind of junk and filth you might have been in or are in. I'm telling you right now, if you're saved, then that inner part of you has been created in righteousness and true holiness. You say, preacher, what's the problem? Your flesh is doing a really good job of convincing your soul that that's who you are. And that's where we are. You, you, you cannot live in sin without your mind not being transformed. You can't. When people live in sin, they are screaming, my mind is not transformed. It's not been renewed. I'll keep knocking this over. I'm going to need it eventually. So I can't. In the moment I get it off the platform, I won't be able to talk again. Okay? If I leave it here, then I'll never have to crack it or use it the rest of the service. You understand Murphy's Law? Everybody get Murphy's Law? Somebody needs to shoot that guy Murphy. I'm telling you, he's a bad guy. Okay. So we'll knock it over eventually. But it's got to stay here. You understand. Okay. Now the next thing, here it is. The flesh must be crucified. Now don't get me wrong, when you got saved, the old man was crucified. We're not talking about the old man. That's the center of your being. That's already taken care of. Now what needs to happen is your flesh needs to be crucified. Your flesh cannot be reformed. It cannot be restored. Your flesh has no hope. The only hope you have flesh has is put it on the cross. Remember the Apostle Paul says, I die Wow. Now notice what it says there in Romans 13, 14, where it said, put you on the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. I call this zero tolerance. And that's one of the reasons I believe the, the app that Ryan has developed and God has used him and let him in is helpful. You say, why? Because it's saying zero tolerance. I don't want to give the flesh an inch. Anybody in this room knows, in any area of defeat in your life, if you give the flesh an inch, it will take a mile. It will always take you farther than you want to go. The flesh can never be satisfied by giving it some, some fodder. It doesn't work that way. It takes over. We all know that. And so the Bible says, here's what you need to understand about the flesh. You can give it absolutely no provision. You have to say, I'm not going there. Which means some people, as we talked about in our session at the Q&A, some people have to take very strong measures because they know, i got a propensity here. i got to deal with this. I talk about the time I gave this illustration briefly in the Q&A, but my dad was out soul winning years ago with the old gangster, George Mensick. He'd been saved for probably three or four decades, probably three decades. And they got into a home and were giving the gospel. My dad said it was a phenomenal opportunity. And he said, the old gangster began tugging in a suit coat. That's back when they used to stole one in suit coats. And he said, preacher, we've got to get out of here. And he said, George, George, you know, we've got somebody he's talking to. And, no, preacher, we've got to get out of here. No, good on. Finally, the old gangster, just this converted gangster, got out the door, just ran out the door. And my dad said it was so disconcerting, it threw me. He said, I apologize to the people. And he said, I asked them if I could come back. They said, I could. He said, I walked out to the front yard, and that old gangster was pacing back and forth on the front yard. and My dad looked at him and said, George, what's wrong? He said, Preacher, didn't you see it? Didn't you see it? He said, see what? He said, there was a deck of cards on the table. There was a deck of cards on the table. George Mensick could not be in the presence of a deck of cards. Well, he used to run the, uh, the gambling shops in the back of their fronts, the, gang, the mob's fronts. George Mensick Realized that he couldn't make provision for the flesh. Now, most of us could walk by a deck of cards. I'm not even sure I know it's a deck of cards. But for him, he couldn't even be in its presence. Now, if you were to mock that, you would miss the whole point of Romans 13, 14. You know what Romans 13, 14 is? Man, I know my flesh, and I'm not, I just can't even be around that. I can't go there. I can't be there. I preached so much. I was preaching in Africa uh, just a couple weeks ago with my son-in-law, Ryan, and uh, that was so much fun preaching together. But uh, I appreciated so much how he dealt with those men. He said, if you want victory over pornography, everything's got to be on the table. And if everything's not on the table, you're not ready. And it's really true, isn't it? Sure it is. 
So, uh, got to be zero tolerance. And then crucifixion. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. I see these as really cousin concepts here. It's the idea, okay, I'm not going in there anymore. You know, I'm going to delete that app off my phone or, yeah, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go apologize to that person. Whatever. You know, I have found this. When you obey the Lord, the flesh hates it. You know what I view an invitation like? I, I view the invitation as a funeral. You ever had a funeral for yourself? Yeah. It's like walking down, looking in the, hopping in the casket and saying, I'm done, man. I, I don't care what people think. You know why we don't walk aisles when we should? Because we're afraid what people think. That's the point. I don't care what anybody thinks. I got a problem and I need Jesus and I don't care what anybody thinks. I got to get this right. That's crucifixion. Crucifixion saying, I'm done with that, man. I'm not going there. I'm going to have to break up this friendship because it's leading me in the wrong way. Or I'm going to have to get rid of that. Or, man, I'm going to have to get accountable in video games because I'm wasting all kinds of time or whatever it might be. See, the flesh wants to be crucified. Okay, let's go to the next one. Then what happens is the new man's got to take over on this deal. The spirit's got to be trusted. We're almost done here. Galatians 5.16, this I say then, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now all you Greek students know, that's double negative. You know what double negative means in the Greek language? It's not I English, because in English, guess what a double negative does? It negates it. But not in the Greek. You know what the Greek does? It intensifies it. So you know what God is saying? Walk in the Spirit and you will in no way, absolutely not, won't happen, fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit doesn't sin. Now, there is some debate on what that little preposition in means. Actually, it's in what they call the dative uh, case there, and, and uh, the word spirit is. And um, there is some interpretation on whether it's means, instrumental, or whether I, I've even wondered if it's a dative of sphere, which means walk in the sphere of the Spirit. In other words, walk in who you really are. The realm of the Spirit. I don't have a problem with means or instrumental. I've thought it's that for years. Walk by means of the Spirit or, okay, or through the instrumentality of the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, whatever. All of those are, you know, have some overlap. But the idea is simply this. When you and I begin to live in who we are in Jesus Christ, we don't sin. You know why? Because he doesn't. And he said there's absolutely no way when you are walking with the Holy Spirit, there's no way you're going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's stunning. See, I want you to understand who you are. That's who you are. Now, many times we live like we're not. Kind of schizophrenic, isn't it? See, God is simply saying, stop acting like you're somebody who you're not. You, we all understand what conformity is. Conformity is acting like something you're not. Now, I like NHL hockey, and I know we got Canadian brothers here, and so they're all about it. Of course, I don't know if they're Oilers fans or not, but anyway, I assume they are. But, you know, I, I, I like NHL hockey, but I will tell you, I can put on a Blackhawks uniform, which costs a lot of money, but I can put on all the equipment, and I can get out on the ice, but it wouldn't take you five seconds for you to realize that guy's not an NHL hockey player. When I'm eating the ice, you know what I'm talking about? Slipping all over the place. That guy's not an NHL hockey player. See, I can look like it on the outside, but that's not who I am on the inside. And friends, that's the way most Christians are. We're saved, born again, on our way to heaven, new man, Jesus living in us. We're in union with the one who does not sin. That's who we are, and we're acting like we're, we can't help it. we got to sin all the time. And God's saying, stop being conformed, be transformed. How you're transformed? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, renewing your mind. So you begin to realize, I believe this. This is who I am in Jesus Christ. Okay, so uh, then, of course, based on that, it now comes to the rise up. So now I am right here at the conference. Okay, right at the end, I'm at the conference. Romans 6, what does it say? Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. And here's the key words I put in bold letters. As those that are alive from the dead... Why does it put that in there? Because if you yield your flesh sincerely, if you yield your flesh sincerely to the Lord, you will be defeated. Most people, when they come to the altar sincerely, mean this, 
but they yield their flesh to the Lord and wonder why they're defeated. I'm going to tell you why you're defeated. Because you can't reform your flesh. All it can do is sin. It hates God. It's an enmity with God. The only hope for your flesh is to crucify it. See, God says, don't give it an inch. And what he's saying, friends, here is, they're really the idea is, it's the present tense with the negative, so it has the idea of stop uh, letting sin reign in your mortal body. Stop it. Stop yielding your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. He's saying, stop it. Now, why is he saying that? Well, if you understand Romans chapter 6, because he just taught us that's not who you are. You're dead to sin in Jesus, alive unto God in Jesus. Wow, that's who you are. Stop letting sin boss you around. Why? Sin's not your boss anymore. The moment you got saved, the old man died. Body of sin was rendered ineffective, destroyed its effectiveness to rule you, and now you don't have to serve sin anymore. Hallelujah. So as those from the life of the dead, that's so important because the yielding, friends, is yielding the fact we're yielding ourselves as those that believe. We are right now in union with the resurrected Jesus. Do you believe that right now you are in union with the resurrected Jesus? Well, you better because if you're saved, you are. And God says when you yield yourself to God and start obeying God, yield him with the reality that you're in union with a divine aid, a divine enabler, a divine strength, resurrection life, capital R, capital uh, L. And God is saying you're in union with that. So when you yield yourself, you yield yourself completely aware, my flesh can't help me, but I'm in union with him who is at the right hand. I'm in union with Jesus Christ. I've got a spirit inside of me. I've been redeemed. And I'm obeying, I'm yielding my body part, my members, as those that are in union with the resurrected Jesus. And that's where the victory begins to come. And that's what the conference is all about. That's it right there. But if you try to rise up in your flesh, guess what will happen? You will eat dirt. Now, I'm not going to ask how many of you have eaten spiritual dirt, but I have eaten a lot of spiritual dirt in my lifetime. Some of you are tracking with me. See, if you come into this conference, oh, we're going to try harder this time. Yeah, we're going to grit our teeth a little bit longer on this one, man. You're going you're gonna to be in trouble. But if you come into this conference and say, man, I'm weak. I got nothing. But in Jesus, I got everything. And my old man, man, he used to sin all the time, but now I got Jesus and he never sins and he has come in union with my Holy Spirit. I've been born again. I've been born from on high. Hallelujah. That's who I am in Jesus Christ. And by the grace of God, I want to live that thing out. Wow. Now, one more thing, and I think we're done there. I think I've got one more slide, or are we? Yeah. Okay, our last verse. For Christ must be seen, of course, the Holy Spirit, Spirit of Christ, however you want to frame it up. But of Him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God has made into us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. I like what Duncan Campbell said, and maybe this helps us just finish it. He put it this way. That is the secret of holiness. Not my holiness, but his.